your own beer it's time for just brew it brought to you by niagara tradition homebrew here's your host jeremy white and bert deister good saturday morning niagara traditions just brew it here on espn 1520 happy bill season everybody the bills are at training camp so uh, maybe you want to brew up a beer for the season and bring it to the stadium. Yeah, kegs, if they're, if they're trained, no kegs at the Kegs stadium. are not allowed anymore. So We that's, talked about that, though. Two-liter pop bottles. Yes. Get a beer gun. Fill yeah. them up. That's that, that's still one of the most mind-blowing things I've learned, that you can just put them in two-liter soda bottles and pop bottles. I never even thought about it, and you told me that. She's like, wow. this." Is- yeah, they make those caps that are, uh, you know. The carbonator yeah, caps? Yeah. Perfect. You can put the quick connects on and then just put CO2 on and shake the crap out of it for a little while. Yeah. Perfect. Nice. Jeremy White with Burt Deister from Niagara Tradition. We brought Dave Collins from Resurgence back for another week. We had so much fun last week. I'm he back. Just, he just talked and talked and talked. <laughs> Find it on demand. If you missed it, uh, the story of Resurgence and, uh, you know, what's going on over there, really cool. So you can always find all our shows on demand at WDGR550.com. want to also mention the 15th, um, the Dude Hates Cancer event at Resurgence with all of the home brews that are submitted. So you can uh, check that out. That's the Dude Hates Cancer event at Resurgence on the 15th. Of this month. All right, so we're going to start off this week a little different. We're going straight to question of the week. We're going to get the expertise of you two, your massive knowledge of the brewing and all that stuff. Uh, Peter writes in through our website. You can always write in at nthomebrew.com or you can tweet at us uh, at ntjustbrewit. Peter writes in, I've been doing a couple extract kits a year for three years now. Recently, I've tried to go to a full boil, uh, boiled six gallons of water, ended up having to add about a half gallon to the fermenter to have five gallons. He's having gravity problems. My OG was really low, 43 instead of in the neighborhood of 55. Um, should I add? Should I adjust ingredient amounts to account for the full boil? Is there a tool I can use to help in future kits? And the second question is he was short on an OG and a partial mash as well. So when it comes to um, when your numbers don't hit on original gravity, like what, I guess that's the, the gist of the question. What, what, what are the remedies? Well, I, th- I think it's interesting that normally if it was just in the, the partial mash, we'd be talking about, like, uh, grist and whether, you know, if your mash low enough density, are you getting enough fresh water on there to sparge? Um, but if you're getting it in both extract and in partial mash brewing, I think it's something that might be universal. The one thing um, that we get a lot of questions at the store with is, am I reading my hydrometer right? And especially on brew day, because maybe you've been drinking, maybe it's right. hot out, maybe your beer is hot, which will cause the gravity to actually go down. So when you warm a liquid up, usually the density drops, just like your motor oil has those two viscosities, one's hot, one's cold, and your wart's going to have the same. There's a lot of temperature correction apps, formulas, HTML web pages that you can use to kind of make uh, an adjustment. You have to have a good thermometer to get a quick read on your um, wart in a vial because you don't know, you know, what that temperature is and it's going to change quickly. A yeah, couple- I was going to say get yourself a new hydrometer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, you got to make sure that your wart is cooled to the right temp. So is he checking it? You know, pre-boil, post-boil, or uh, in the, you know, or is he pulling a sample hot and just throwing a, you know, hydrometer in? Then you're not going to have the right read. Yeah, it's going to. I know. It cools, air like temperature that. changes it, but not much, right? Doesn't like sure. it's ideally 66 degrees, isn't that what you're supposed to take? 68. It? Right. 68. I think is most okay, hyd- so if most it's 74 in your apartment or house, 
your hydrometer is going to read a little differently, but not yeah. too much. Too much. Uh, you can get a really one of the more expensive hydrometers. They have uh, temperature correction uh, inside of them, mm. so they have a uh, little thermom mercury thermometer yeah, mercury. inside the bottom. Yeah. Yep. And those are great, but they're yeah. like 35 bucks. I, well, we have them in actually for a lot cheaper than well, that. Well, look at a you. A lot. <laughs> um, but uh, I tend, they're about the same price as buying like your standard like 5 or $7 thermometer plus your 5 or $7 hydrometer. But what I find is um, when I use it and I break it, I'm now missing both my thermometer and my hydrometer, so I have neither. So even if I want to take that sample over to the scale, yeah. I still can't measure the temperature on it, and I'm you know, having some problems. So uh, I tend to have uh, one reliable thermometer, one to back it up, and then an army of hydrometers, because I think the most I've ever broken in one day is three, mm. maybe four. <laughs> maybe four How end of the day i kind of yeah <laughs> that i can't tell you <laughs> but well, when it comes to an uh, an original gravity reading that's really low you, you've mentioned a couple potential um problems like why you might have that yeah. you should also look at scorching on the pot too you know i've never i've lost you know some gravity never a significant part to scorching but in the the homebrewing if you've just bought this big pot and you've bought this giant you know propane burner you might be getting a lot more BTUs, you know, four to five times what you were getting on even a good home stove. So you might be scorching a little bit. As far as the, the boil off, as you boil more water, you're going to, you know, boil off more water. You know, six to six and a half gallons starting is not right. low. I mean, some of uh, my pots I know to put in seven gallons, especially if I know the beer is going to have a lot of solids in the bottom of the primary fermenter because you lose volume there too. And you're also using some liquid. So you have to account for all of that by the time you get to the carbuoy to make sure that you have five gallons. And it is okay to top off with a little bit of distilled water. You just want to make sure you keep the temp or temperature down so that the yeast doesn't begin to attenuate some more sugar. Well, but when it comes to like his question from Peter here is about adjusting it. Once you have your gravity, you pretty much have it. Like right, You're not going to be able to tweak it. it. It means that either you forgot an ingredient, left out a step, yeah. or as, you, as you've mentioned – like you, you said, all the temperatures and the, the kind of the clerical points. Could it mean that, like, you measured something wrong? Because well, sometimes, like, uh, if your grain was sitting around for a while and it's really humid out, uh, the grain is going to naturally absorb some water, and then your uh, friability goes down, so the crack won't be as good, and you're going to have a lot more whole kernels getting through your mill instead of, you know, cracking open and exposing that starch to water. So there's a lot of uh, variables there, but... Really, say, you know, if I'm using grain that sat around and maybe somebody spilled a beer on it or something and uh, I miss my gravity by half a point or so, um, you can add a bag of dextrose, you know, or so on a homebrew scale, you can add a little bit of have dextrose laying around. Uh, and if you're um, a little high on it, you can always add uh, basically filtered water to it because beer is, you know, 95 percent water anyway. So you could add a little bit of water to it during the boil. Make sure it gets boiled, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there you can go. I know dextrose might dry out your recipe a little bit. So if you're looking for a big, like, thick oatmeal stout, that might be um, not a great option for it. But it will give you more fermentables, and you, you can bring your grav back up. 
And if you if you don't realize it till the end, and so you see a kind of normal starting gravity, but if you have like a warm fermentation, or you didn't get as much, say, with like the partial mass, if you tied your bag too tight and you didn't get as much out of your specialty ingredients as you sought, you use some boiled maltodextrin too. And there's a lot, you know, I think it's 35 for the maltodextrin, about 38 points per pound per gallon on the uh, corn sugar or dextrose. And so you can use those to kind of boost it up and you can know what you need to put into your five gallon batch too. Right. His second question is from Peter question of the week. Peter's getting his money's worth here. By yeah, the way. yeah. Yeah. Really? <laughs> um, and I, I actually, this is one that I think is pretty good. He, he suggests that we, he listens to the show and says, suggests we, we do a little more to help with beginners. And this is a good one. I think any suggestions, he says a friend bought the ingredients, forced his hand to get into the additional equipment of a partial mash he wants to try that more. He says, I recently tried converting. Um, th- that's where the problem came. But when he goes to partial mash, from extract to partial mash, it's like the rest stop on the way to all grain, obviously. Right. requires not as much as all grain. But in my experience, I've done a few partial mashes, and I find it to be <laughs> – it's more involved. But for me, we went through this last week. It might be easier because you can control temperatures. My stove right. – is a disaster when it comes to trying to control temperatures. <laughs> you know, and if I'm trying to, I, I can't. I've got an electric stove that I can't keep this steady because if it's here, it's at 148, and then I next I look, it's at 180. And right. if I'm doing partial mesh, I'm not going to run into that problem. So, for a beginner to make the leap, like, are there materials? What he's asking, what kind of materials are there to make that jump to partial mesh? Like, is there a book basically? So you want to go to partial mesh? You know? <laughs> if not, you guys want to write it. I mean, yeah, we might probably. have something yeah. there. There's a really good section in John Palmer's How to Brew where he gives you a lot of different options on how to move up into partial mash and all-grain brewing, a lot of times using stuff that you already have. We talked last week just if you have an old Coleman lunch yeah. cooler. It doesn't have to be a you know big mash ton. It doesn't have to be an igloo, 15 gallons with a big false bottom in it. It could be your Coleman cooler that you take camping, you take fishing, you take to Ralphelson Stadium. You know, Give it a good cleaning first. Put some hot water in there. Give it the test. Make sure you don't smell any biphenols or heavy plastic. Plastic, yeah. but you can use that as far as stuff that you're going to need you're going to need a full boil so you got to have a brew pot that's big enough for that and you should have a wart chiller especially this time of year if you're going to do a full boil that's a lot of thermal capacity you need to get it down fast but you also want to make sure you don't boil that grain uh you want if you cook that grain at a too high a temperature you're going to leach all the polyphenol or all the tannin off it so um you're going to have a really tannic tasting beer like a you know red wine or something so you don't want those tannins in in the beer so you never want your grain to go up higher than pretty much 175 degrees but i think you could get a little small side pot right so you have your big pot that you're going to put your extract in with a few gallons of water and then you have a side pot and get like a muslin bag and heat up the water to one temperature so bring it up you know to a few degrees above your what your whatever you want to mash at, which is usually 152 to 155, bring it up to like 160, and then put that muslin bag on it and throw the grain in there, mix it around a bunch, and then let it rest in there. Put a top on it, let it rest in there for you know 45 minutes or so, and then take that top off. You can basically pull that bag out, and you'll have basically extract you know whatever you extracted from that grain uh, below it, and then you know throw it. I would say rinse the grain off as much as you can. Take it right into your brew pot. If you have, like, sparge water, yeah, if you have your big brew pot going, get it started up while you're doing your little mini mash and just throw it in there while you 
deal with the rest of the stuff. Right. And that can be any pot that isn't Teflon or uh, aluminum. Mm -hmm. So if you got like an enamel camming pot, if you got like a stainless steel stock pot usually used for spaghetti or chili, you already have your little louder tongue. There you go. So, so yeah, just do that. And I, I would get, you know, your extract should be just a base of like a two row extract, you know, whatever. And then your specialty grain uh, is what you're doing your partial mash for, right? So mm -hmm. you're doing your crystal malts, your caramel malts, your, you know, your uh, cho chocolate malts and roasted barleys and stuff like that on your side pot. And then you, right, you take that grain out, dump whatever water you have now into uh, your big pot and then kind of rinse off that grain as best you can with real, with really warm water. And uh, that's called a sparge, but I guess, you know, I don't want to get too. No, I mean, I, 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 I think it's good stuff. What I was going to ask is you said if you want it between 152 and 155, you said heat to 160. Mm -hmm. Is that just because 160 is safe and you're accounting for it to slowly come down? It's going to come down when you put the grain in because the grain is at ambient temperature, right? right? So, um, like, when I mill in 15 bags of grain, my strike water, which is about usually about seven or eight barrels of liquid uh is at 74 degrees celsius and i know it's going to come down to 67 degrees celsius so we do went to school brew school in canada so i do everything in celsius but uh you're you've got to account for that grain bringing the temp down if you mash in uh or yeah mill mash in your grain at 155 and think it's going to hold at 155 you're crazy so it's gonna because it's gonna then you're gonna be basically mashing at like 145 or so you're gonna lose temperature depending on how much grain you're putting in and depending on uh, what the ambient temperature of the grain itself is. So if it, you had it in the in your garage and it's negative three degrees out, which we've seen often, mm -hmm. uh, then and you grab your grain, bring it in, that's going to bring your water weight, you know, temp way down when you when you mill that into your water. So uh, there's those kind of variables. But I would say a safe bet is around 160, and that should bring it around 150. And then you rest for around 45 minutes or an hour, depending. And are these the calculations that you do based on what kind of grain, how much there is? Right. So that when you're going on to calculate your, what your temperature is going to be, that's basically what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. And, it, and if you got a little intimidated there, there's a lot of apps. Again, HTML format <laughs> stuff right. to help you out. No, no, that's fine. It's a... Um, but there's a lot of ways to get those numbers as if you're, uh, you know, if you feel a little intimidated. And just remember, if you start into this process and you feel like you've screwed something really up, you maybe got three or four dollars worth of grain in there, and you're about to toss in, you know, twenty dollars worth of extract. Hold up, give us a call. Yeah. We'll tell you if everything went all right, and then continue on. So. All right, break time. Back on the other side with more from uh, Bert Deister of Niagara Tradition and Dave Collins from Resurgence Brewing here on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, welcome back here 
Happy August. It's uh, Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Jeremy White with Burke Deister from Niagara Tradition and Dave Collins of Resurgence Brewing. And uh, this week we did a big question of the week. Peter wrote in about some partial mass stuff and actually requested that we target some beginners and get some typical beginner problems for those uh, maybe just starting out. So what's the, uh, I don't know, what's the beginner problem you hear about? I'd imagine, you know, Bert, we talk about this a lot, but for you, Dave, you've got to, once people meet you, You've got to have everyone be like, oh, I brew at home. Like, and they, they want to, <laughs> yeah, they, they want to talk like, you know, idiots like me, like, <laughs> you know, but you obviously like this community, this homebrewing community, everyone always, you know, wants to talk about. It's like a golf community or fantasy <laughs> football. It's very much uh, sure. inclusive. So what is the number one question, the number one problem you, you, you hear about or that people want to ask you what you could help with? Like, what should I do or what, how do I do this? Yeah. What do they say? I think a lot of the questions come around when people are like, you know, so my beer didn't ferment down. You know, how do I fix that? And I'm like, well, <laughs> there's a myriad of, of problems that you could have there. Uh, and it's about uh, did you get all your sugars converted? Did you use healthy yeast? Um, you know, and if, say, it didn't ferment down well, but you know all your other methods were right, add some more yeast. You know, that's fine. That You might have just had a bad pack or, you know, Especially sometimes, you know, I've had those Y yeast or, or uh, White Labs yeast uh, pack, like the smack packs and stuff like that, just not go. Um, get a dry yeast. That stuff never fails. Yeah, I keep one lager, one English, and one American dried yeast always yep. in my freezer. They're probably about two years old, but even at that age in the freezer, they'll still kick yep. off five gallons at 50 points of Galilee overnight. And um, I always keep them around. You know, you don't have to worry too much about blending yeast. Yeah, one's going to kind of usually dominate um, and kind of be the majority flavor. And then sometimes you end up a little bit lower on your finishing gravity. But as we talked about earlier, you can make that up really quickly with some maltodextrin. Also, if you've had yeast problems and one hasn't finished out on you, chances are they left over some stuff besides sugar. And there's going to be some funny flavors in there that you need something fresh to eat up. So... Yeah, well, and you got to remember it's homebrewing, so it's supposed to be fun. And you know, I always tell people that there's uh, a term in the industry called brewing at the labeler. So if something didn't go exactly right, you're like, oh, I, I meant to make a red ale and I made you know this or a brown ale. You're like, all right, well, I guess I'll call it a brown ale and sell it that way. <laughs> you know, because there's I think that term describes about ninety percent of my beer sometimes. There you go. <laughs> so. But it's homebrew. Have fun with it. Like, all right, I screwed up, and this didn't ferment out. Uh, throw in some saison yeast. That'll kill it. Like, that stuff will pop in and take over everything. But now you're going to have a little Belgian tartness and stuff like that. Cool. So you made an IPA that didn't ferment down. Now you got a Belgian IPA. Done. You know, yeah. that's cool. So uh, just experiment. Try it. And then you'll be surprised most of the time that that beer came out really nice. You know, uh, especially – like I said, if you throw in like a Trappist yeast or something and turn a, a stout into a Belgian stout, you know, you're like, all right, well, that actually came out really neat, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't know if I can repeat that. Right. But, uh, you know, we used to do that at our when we were home brewing, uh, my brother and I, we used to do that a lot where we're like, all right, well, we made this. But how are we going to tweak it? What are we going to do to it? Can I throw mint leaves into it like a dry hop? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, you can do it. Try it, you know. Especially if you made one, you know, you made five gallons of something, throw two gallons of it into a separate carboy and spice it somehow. You know, now you got two different beers. 
you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. but I would also be careful of like bottle bombs. I get that a lot. People are like, you know, my, my bottles exploded. What happened? And I'm like, well, what did, there's a lot of, you didn't check your hydrometer reading right. bottling time. First of all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you crash it? You know, did you pull the, get the yeast out of solution? Did you, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And then did you add a little bit of new yeast and the right amount of priming sugar to get it to carbonate properly in the bottle? Yeah, a lot of a lot of people's home brewing problems come from kind of taking shortcuts, and because they're new brewers, they don't realize where the shortcuts are going to give them problems, and so they end up getting them later on. Yeah. So not checking your hydrometer reading because you think everything's just going to be okay, and you're sure everything's fresh, you know, on your ingredients. Um, not uh, bothering to taste your tap water the day you're brewing or taste the water you're brewing it's really high in chlorine now you don't taste chlorine you taste right. band-aid three weeks later right. but now you're struggling trying to wrap your hand around you know what band-aid got into your fermenter and right and that that's actually a good point is um you know i would i wouldn't use tap water in home brewing at all i would you know because you don't you can't trust it you don't know what the city's adding to it especially in the summer the water's hotter they're going to add more chloramines um just get uh spring water from the store and uh and then and boil that and don't use deionized water because that has no uh, minerals in it and the yeast needs minerals to be healthy so you need that calcium magnesium zinc if you get deionized water then you're you're talking about adding uh, you know, Me, mineral. To usually, we'll say right on the bottles too, and usually in some little black fine print in the front of the label, down in the bottom, it'll say deionize uh, RO filter, or it will say um, the cheapest would be distilled. Um, and you want to try to avoid that. If you do find it, there are like pre-packaged mineral packets too. We have like right. something called Burton water salts, where if you dump the packet in, stir it, your distilled water will now be like Burton. Nice. Yeah, but nice. you want to. You want to know that ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. And that's good for English-style beers and IPAs, you know, to burtonize your water. Uh, but if you're trying to make, like, a lager or something lighter or, or Belgian-style beer, you might not want to burtonize your water. You, w- you want to add some uh, mineral if you have deionized water, but you don't want to burtonize it. You know, you don't want 230 part per million of calcium. You know, I think it's higher than that in there, actually. Is it 330? Yeah, like three, yeah, no. 350, something like that. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to homebrewers, do you guys find that people get too ambitious at the start or they don't get ambitious enough? Are they playing it too safe or are they, are they throwing too much in? No, usually about batch four, five, maybe slower brewers, ten. They could yeah. be overambitious. The, the common thing that I always say at the store is say they brew a beer, say a porter, and in this porter, instead of adding chocolate malt, they add an extra two ounces of black malt. Now, this is the best porter they've ever brewed, so they determine that black malt must be the best malt ever. So more of a good thing is always a good thing. So let's put a pound into my Pilsner and see how that turns out. And it tastes like bad, dark coffee, and you're yeah. just like, what happened here? And that we see that a lot. Those problems are drinkable. So those are good ones to learn. You know, there's not any foul Usually. flavors in there. Yeah. Make some black and tans or something like that. But, um, yeah, that's that's an okay mistake to be- make. And you know what I mean? Right. You know, sometimes you do have those, like, you know, epiphanies where you, you put something in there and you're really scared and you don't know the amounts. And so you try to, like, you know, Dave says, be subtle about it. You know, try to start with light spicing. Um, I know I've done that with, like, cardamom. And then, like, the results, even a hint of the cardamom, played in the beer later on were you know yeah. wonderful especially you know your beer can change over months of, of time you know i like that even that 
I know it's a cliched example, but like at Hetty Topper, they they once they package their beer, they don't let it leave the brewery for 20 days because they notice that the IPA tastes best after 20 days. But then you want to drink it pretty much within the 10 days that they sold it, which you know so that's a pretty small window if you're talking about a packaged product. But uh, you know so say you throw that cardamom in there um, and then you let it rest for you know two weeks try it and then a couple weeks later it tastes totally different well is it better or worse you know and uh, so if you're going to do that again you know do you want to pull the cardamom you know out of that carboy with a you know muslin bag or something within this amount of time you know that kind of thing so it's, it, it is a, about playing around um, I, I think a lot of people do play it somewhat safe uh, but again, I, I like to make a lot of crazy stuff, so I don't know. And I think that leads to another thing that like new brewers probably, we always stress sanitizing, having good water, good temperature. Something I don't think is stressed enough is having good notes. I can't tell you how many right. times people come into the store and we think it's a simple fix, um, but they have no idea what happened on brew day. You know, not only do they have no notes, but no recollection and can't <laughs> even remember you're talking about, you know, brewing at the labeler, yeah. you know, and, and they're asking us, we had a guy came in, he said, I think I tried to brew a pale ale. I don't think it turned out well the other day. I hope I'm not picking on him here. Right. So we had a bunch of customers at the counter reported out in little sample glasses and guy, first guy comes up, had no part in the conversation. This is the best IPA I've had all year. And it was a <laughs> phenomenal IPA, but he was sh- short on his volume. Right. He added an extra ounce of hops that he found in his refrigerator and weren't labeled and he couldn't even remember if he had added them or not and so now he's thinking it's like might have been some there was a nice woody flavor and it was very bitter so maybe it was some like you know uh warrior or something like that in there (laughs) but um great ipa you know and i mean um was shooting these things for a pale ale and he'll never make it again because he have no uh, no idea what went into it (laughs) so if you take some good notes you can at least replicate those yeah make a brew sheet you know and make a standard brew sheet on an excel sheet uh, and then and print them off, and you'll have a standard sheet. And on the back of it, if if you have a lot of notes, write down the notes. You know, and this is what we do at the brewery. And I have been guilty of uh, forgetting something. I'm like, oh wait, what did we do with that? You know, and it has happened even on our scale, 15 barrels of, of a beer. And I'm like, shoot, I know we'd spice that somehow, but I can't recall. You know, no. my notes and, always uh, start off really good, and kind of by the end of the page are getting a little sloppy and spilled yeah. and. Well, because yeah. you're going to have to go back, you know, two weeks through brew logs. And, and uh, when you go to make, you know, make a note, you're like, all right, well, uh, which beer? Oh, yeah. And then you have, to, you know, so you got to make those notes uh, retroactively and stuff like that. But oh, I think that's another good point. Yeah. Taste the beer and go back and write those notes. And if you have a bad recipe, write it down. Write down why it was bad. Keep that recipe yeah. in the front of your brew notebook. Right. And then when somebody says, like, you know, oh, are you going to brew – you know, this style of beer for me, you can go to your recipes and you can see the one you definitely don't want to make. Yeah, exactly. All right. Dave, thanks again for coming in. Yeah, happy to do it. You're now our leading guest with two appearances. Hey. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. You're always welcome back again. Yeah. Great. I want to keep the title, so that'd be cool. Very good. All right. (laughs) August 15th is uh, The Dude Hates Cancer at Resurgence. You can hang out and drink a lot of home brews and Maybe somebody finds an accidental pale ale or IPA in there that I thought was a was a pale ale. Probably not. You probably got some pretty hardcore home brewers that are, you know, top of top of the list. Yeah, so. I, I went with a reliable recipe. I All went right. with an old favorite. Which one? Smoke porter. Smoke nice. porter. Good right. summer brown porter. 
Nice. So be there for the uh, the smoke porter. We're back next week once again here on ESPN 1520. If you missed uh, any portion of this show, want to catch last week's show, the week before, uh, it's um, sorry, WGR550.com. On demand at WGR550.com. Talk to you next week. Head to the store, pick up materials, and go Go brew brew yourself. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.